Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea from The Athletic. On this episode, magnificent chaos against Liverpool as the Blues start 2022. Lukaku's talking, but Tuchel shows his blue steel. We look back on the other festive fixtures. And there's the small matter of a semi-final reunion with Antonio Conte. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Hello, listener. Happy New Year to you. We are back for 2022 to run the rule over all things Chelsea FC. And no surprise, plenty has happened in our brief absence. So let's crack on. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, are two of the Athletics Chelsea experts. Hello, Simon Johnson. Hello. New Year. Same old Chelsea. (laughs) Dominic Fifield's also with us. Hi, Dom. Hello, New Year, same old Simon Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) You lucky (laughs) so-and-so. We wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, Chelsea have played thrice since we last spoke, the most recent of which was against Liverpool on Sunday. We'll reflect on that next. Alonso, that's quite the direct route. Mike Kelleher. They have got one back before half-time. Kovacic, Wow. Oh, Kante's moved it forward. Here's Christian Pulisic. Can he make it 2-2? Yeah. He has! Yeah. Unbelievable! What a response from Chelsea! It's okay, red. I mean, I don't mind if it's uh, five seconds into the game. It's the first action. It's a clear red. He doesn't want to, to challenge. He doesn't see the ball. He just wants to hit with the elbow. was crazy, but good crazy. was nice. was nice to watch. Good to, good to coach. was was uh, yeah, nice Sunday afternoon. Chelsea 2, Liverpool 2, the game of the season. The game neither could afford to lose and neither did, but Manchester City won. Um, We'll talk about the game before we talk about the noise around it. Simon, you and I were there and and we've said this a few times this season. I think we're still checking our privileges after a year or so with with no fans in stadiums. But this was was a a really amazing spectacle to to kind of witness live and, and be a part of. Yeah, and and he can he could only go f- sort of almost forget the fan reaction, which was unbelievable, obviously. Um, but just give me an idea of the the sort of reaction from the journalists, sort of at half time as we sort of went into the press room, just sort of open mouthed and sort of saying, "This feels like a cut tie." Like, and and it, it makes sense because it was a cut tie in many senses because. Both teams couldn't afford to drop points, which is why you sort of saw this attack via attack. There was no real structure, control to either team's game. And that's what made it such a delight. It was sort of end-to-end, just drama. Defense, neither of the defences, which of course both teams have been synonymous for, for having great defenders, neither of them were at their best defensively. And it, it just made for an absolute cracker. It was a, it was a privilege to be there... Okay, the second half 
by the very high standard set by the first half didn't quite live up to that but it was still a really good game and um yes of course both sides drop points and 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 you suspect man city are, are going to sprint away in the distance but you almost didn't care about the consequences because it was such a great occasion might not have been such a great game dom had sadio mané been sent off after 6 seconds no it wouldn't have been the same at all i wouldn't have thought um it would have been very much along the lines of the second half at Anfield when uh, Chelsea were coping without Rhys James in the in the first encounter this season. Um, and it was a sending off. The bottom line is, I, I, six seconds or not, it was a sending off. He, 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 he leaps and he makes contact. And it doesn't look good, actually, when you watch it back, even in, in slow motion. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know whether there was any malicious in, intent in there, but it was horribly clumsy. And I, the, the, the VAR... Um, explanation is it was more reckless than violent. It looked pretty violent as well, to be honest. Um, so yeah, Liverpool were very fortunate, and Mane was very fortunate. And it would be it would be very interesting to have been a fly on the on the wall of the of the plane taken by Mane and Edouard Mendy to, uh, to jet off to to meet up with their Senegal teammates ahead of the African Cup of Nations on the, on Sunday evening, because I'm sure that would have cropped up in the conversation en route. Yeah, maybe Mendy should have said to, to Mane, look, we're leaving at a set time, don't worry about it. You'd have to be early for the play and you can stay until the end of the game. Um, so Chelsea were playing really well, Simon, and then all of a sudden they were 2-0 down. Uh, not Trevor Chalaber's finest moment. We've given him loads of praise this season, but uh, the Salah goal was just absolutely fantastic. Um, yes, it was, but it was still poor defensively. Um, dealing with Chalaber first, um, I was told that he went into the game with hamstring trouble, um, which maybe doesn't excuse why he went to clear that ball with his head uh, when it was only a few inches off the ground. It was a bit weird, but you can understand why he wasn't himself. Um, he aggravated it during the game, and that's why he came off. Um, but there was a there was a slight... Obviously, Pulisic got a lot of criticism, and understandably so, because the chances looked very similar but there was a difference in that Mane, the gap between Mane and Mende was bigger than... He had slightly more time than what Pulisic had. And I think Pulisic was kind of like he had to deal with the ball sort of bounced up and does he take it first time or two around. That, that's my only caveat for Pulisic, by the way. I still think he should have done better. Um, as for the second goal, Rudiger is actually with Salah. Uh, he, he's drawn out. And, he, and he's looking around him and he's going, yeah, there's Salah, there's Salah, there's Salah. I've got him, I've got him. And then just falls asleep. And Salah makes a great run. Um, and Alonso in, in his defence, um, <laughs> this is probably the only one doing defending uh, of Alonso at the moment, um, does spot the run. But Salah just, he, he does it brilliantly. He fakes and he just gets that half a yard. It's a great finish. Um, and and the, the atmosphere was a bit like, oh dear, it's it's all over. <laughs> you know, he did sort of, there was that kind of, oh no, this is all going wrong. And, and, you know, what with all the backdrop going into the game and the bad run of form. So I think Chelsea take a huge amount of credit for the characters come back into it. Um, and of course it took a, well, you don't want to sort of say it's goal of the year after two days, but it's going to be a tough one to beat in Kovacic. Um and and it just galvanised the place and 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 Chelsea have dropped points regularly at home. That's five out of the last six. 
But the contrast with this one is they came back from a two-goal deficit. It's, it's a slightly different feel to, to the feeling of dropping points. It feels like they gained one. On the Kovacic goal, Dom, there were, there were some magnificent goals throughout the Premier League this weekend. That surely was the best of them, though. I mean, to, to kind of get off the ground with one foot, kick the ball with the other while you're backpedalling and loop it into the net was um, not something that we regularly see from the Kovacic cannon, I would suggest. <laughs> no, I could hear Liam gasping from afar, even <laughs> even on social media. Um, I, I just love the way that he... He backpedals um, with his eyes fixed on the on the ball that's looping out the out the penalty area, and he's he adjusts his body shape as best he can because it's still I still think it's a bit too close to him almost when it when it arrives it's still it's still an awkward one to connect with, um, and he, probably that that prompts him to I think actually for a, for a split second as he makes contact with the ball I think both feet are actually off the ground, um, his left foot is just marginally up up off the off the turf it is just it's 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 stupendous i mean it's ridiculous as a, as a goal and for a player that 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 has tended to sort of scuff his shots into into the mass of bodies in the in the in the penalty areas or even just drill them wide i mean his his shooting has been a major issue since he came to chelsea but that was just it's almost like he's been saving it all for that one moment I mean, it was it was an, a magnificent goal, and it really—I mean, I was only watching it on the television, but but you could tell it just pepped belief in a in a blink of an eye. Suddenly, Chelsea thought, "Wow, we can get back into this," and it probably even caught them by surprise that they had their opportunity to get level even in the period that remained before half time. Uh, I think Kovacic's goal went in the forty-second minute, and yet. You know, Kanto's fling, uh, flicking uh, Christian Pulisic through to for for a very good finish himself as well. Um, three minutes later, so it's it, it just the, the frenzy of it, the breathless and relentless nature of the of that of that half really summed up in three magnificent minutes at the end of the end of the period. Can I just say though that the the, the glorious nature of that moment was ruined by a totally unnecessary VAR check. Like, like one of those tiresome bores who was pointing out, actually, Boxing Day was on the 27th this year because the 26th was a weekend. Like, go away, Vi. You can't rule out goals like that. They're too beautiful. But it, but it, it, it did, you know, because there was that initial celebration, wasn't there? And then it all went, oh, no. And, there, and it took quite a while for, to sort of go, oh, was Rudiger interfering with Kelleher and he was in an offside position? But the ball was sort of so high over Rudiger's head that Callum must have seen it, you know. Anyway, um, and and that annoyed, you know, that, that that did annoy me. That the sort of again, it was another example of of goals not being able to be properly celebrated um, because of because of VAR. But you know, I suppose the the VAR frustration was that was being looked at, and yet sort of the Aspel Equator incident, um, which was supposedly looked at, didn't quite get the same um, length of time. Um, given to what what take place, but no magnificent. It reminded me. I, I did tweet about it. it. Reminded me of Michael Essien's volley against Barcelona at the same end in two thousand nine, uh, albeit that was with his left foot. But the same sort of unexpected, remarkable strike coming off the woodwork and everyone going nuts. It was it was a very similar moment. 
Big goal for Christian Pulisic as well, Dom. I mean, yeah. in terms of the, the the quality of the goals in this game, maybe not up there with with Salah and Kovacic, but still an excellent finish. But but more importantly, for a player who struggled to actually impact games since he's come back into the team, this was a kind of a, a tangible effect that he had on the match. Ducal said afterwards, there's still room for improvement, but he's got this to kind of cling on to and, and take into his next appearance. Absolutely. I mean, we we shouldn't forget that he. He has been a victim of his own versatility a bit of late. I mean, the, the idea that Christian Pulisic could could lead the line as a as a number nine is does still seem vaguely ridiculous in the Premier League. I mean, he, he doesn't he doesn't he hasn't really had a, a positive effect in in that role, and he's sort of been much. Around. I think he played about three positions on Sunday as well. I mean, he was you know wing back, um, one of the number tens. I mean, he's he, he's all over the place in terms of the roles he's been asked to fulfill and and you know sometimes a, a, that lack of continuity coupled with all the the length of time it's 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 taken him to regain full fitness and and to and to get regular involvement in the team has probably contributed to his slightly haphazard form but it was timely definitely and it's given the early miss as well um in the in the first few minutes of the game, it, it's it was it was critical that he had a positive impact to really um, choke a few of the doubters. Um, so, you know, he finished it emphatically. It was a it was a it was a great a great finish. Um, and then in the second half, obviously, he was they had to rely on him to be uh, to fill in different roles in, in the side once again. So uh, I've, he has got a future at Chelsea, I, I think. I mean, there is clearly talent there. It's it's. It's it's just a matter of him, a justifying selection, but 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 b probably enjoying a period of time where he's actually in one settled position. I felt a bit bad because I I did highlight how how much of a shocker he was having in the first half. That was a tactic, though, wasn't it? He, it was <laughs> reverse psychology. Exactly. Um, the the cruelest thing I could say about him was um, <laughs> this is very cruel and very unfair. Was he was involved in a sprint with Canate. And and the look of anguish, and it was right in front of the press, and the look of anguish and strain on his face, it reminded me of trying to you know run for the train at Waterloo <laughs> and my own struggles. Just when you hear that noise of the beep, 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 beep as the doors yeah. are closing, yeah. It was that sort of, oh, the, the body is willing, but it's <laughs> incapable. It, it was, you do wonder whether the FA Cup final hamstring, and he's only human, um, so it's understandable it's still on his mind that he doesn't want to quite go full pelt because I think Pulisic from sort of pre-cut final injury would have would have won that race. Um, perhaps as well he's had a few injuries since then. But I was so um, I thought credit full credit to him in terms of taking that chance because he would have known that the whole stadium was like almost waiting to. To pounce on him if he missed it, like he missed that that early one on one, and and it, he tucked it away brilliantly. And and I did think his game picked up noticeably after that. He, he really sort of that confidence boost um, seemed to benefit him. But again, as, as Don rightly highlights, I mean, where does he play next? You know, is he going to play wing back? Is he going to play left number ten? Is he going to lead the line? You know, it's you do have to throw that into the equation that that he doesn't know where he's playing from one week to the next. We're nearly 20 minutes in and we haven't got to Romelu Lukaku yet, so well done us. We will do in a second, but before we leave the actual game, Dom, I just wonder if we're looking at this maybe through 
the wrong sort of lens in that everybody's saying, oh, the title chase is over. It's really disappointing. Chelsea have dropped out of it. But they, they finished 19 points behind City last season and they've got 10 more points now than they did at this stage last term. So they have made progress. Yeah, and it, it does need context. In, in most seasons um, and in certainly in most leagues, I would have thought that if a team has got 43 points, after 21 matches, or indeed 42 points after 20, which is what Liverpool have got now, um, there wouldn't be talk of crisis. It's only because of Manchester City's utter brilliance, 53 points from 21 games, 11 Premier League wins on the bounce, that, 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 that is the context in which Chelsea and Liverpool are having to compete um, in, in terms of the title race. And, you know, a lot of the disappointment is born of the fact that if you go back a month, we thought this was going to be a three-pronged assault on the title. We thought we were going to have a bit of drama here where you know Manchester City were going to be uh, struggling against two other contenders to, to win this, this Premier League title. Well, it doesn't look as if that's going to be the case. It's only taken a month. It's only taken December for that to happen. I think Chelsea dropped nine points in December. City didn't drop any. Um, and it's just completely gone the other way now. But you're right, you need context it's about building it's about it's it's not about suddenly changing this overnight i don't think i don't think that's feasible really given given what guardiola has instilled at, at city and built at city so maybe we do need to look at the title race in a different way just on just briefly on on that game again a, a brilliant helter skelter relentless frantic game of football I don't understand how Chelsea could muster a performance of, that had that much energy in it, having watched them play against Brighton the previous week, when they didn't look as if they had anything left at all in their engines. They, they were running on fumes that night. And yet here we had Kovacic tearing around like a lunatic throughout the game, even before he scored his goal. Um, Kante doing what Kante does. You know, Chaloba, even after that, that early mistake... You know the the block that he puts in on Salah, I think it is, in the in that what remained of that first half. To if he's got sore hamstrings, to do that and to play, I presume this is all adrenaline fueled, but it was it was utterly sensational and it defies belief, really, how how these two teams, after the draining nature of their Christmas programs, particularly Chelsea after nine games in December, could summon that level of energy. Um, you know that maybe it was part of the. Lukaku thing gets thrown in there because they felt as if they were they were doing it against the odds almost against Liverpool, but but it, it was a phenomenal performance from both teams and a phenomenal game of football as a result. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Uh, let's talk about Lukaku then. It's this interview that he did with Sky Italia three weeks ago, uh, ostensibly to say goodbye to Inter Milan supporters, but he also had something to say about his current manager. I'm not happy with the situation at Chelsea. Tuchel's chosen to play another system. I won't give up. I'll be professional, uh, he said, whilst being incredibly unprofessional. Um, Simon, I mean, the first thing to note on this is is that Chelsea supporters seem to be backing Thomas Tuchel on this. His, his name was sung loud and proud, really, from the first whistle. Yeah, and it didn't surprise me because, um, you know, Lukaku essentially slapped the, the club that feeds him and the, and the fans that support him. I mean, Chelsea fans have been singing his name um, from day one, despite him not actually delivering on his transfer fee yet. Um, there's been flashes, but they, they've they've stood by him as they've stood by Timo Werner, 
Kai Havertz, etc., etc., during their um, form issues. Um, and I think that's 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 a significant help for Tuchel um, because whenever we've we've been confronted with player power issues in the past, um, a manager has been put in a awkward position. But you do get the feeling he's got the support, not only the fans, but at the moment he's got the support of the club as well, who who equally is upset as he is. I, I just I'm just completely baffled by what Lukaku's done really because he yes there's the talk of and one of the main motivations is that he was trying to make amends with Inter Milan fans but by doing so he's upset the fans of the club he now plays for secondly to to remotely complain about tactics and systems and not being happy at Chelsea when you've not actually played that much um was 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 very odd. Um, the reason why he'd not been in the team at the time of the interview was because he'd been out with an ankle injury and was being slowly phased back in the team. Now, the timing of this interview is significant because it was the day after Chelsea played Manchester United and he can understand why Romelu Lukaku would have been desperate to face his old club and prove a point against them, but he only got eight minutes. Now, that was a baffling decision by Tuchel to only give him eight minutes. But it's still no excuse to then sort of have the slightest moan, albeit it's only a small chunk of the interview that he has a moan about Chelsea. But to to, to, to remotely put Thomas Tuchel, Chelsea, any kind of any kind of player comment about unhappiness at Chelsea, but particularly when you're the club record by, is is just throwing a can of petrol on a bonfire because it it will inevitably attract a lot of scrutiny of what's really happening at Chelsea. And then the worst thing of all is the timing of it coming out just ahead of the transfer window and just as Chelsea are going through a tough period. So it's just own goal after own goal as far as Lukaku's concerned. And it's not even worked in terms of making amends with Inter Milan fans who aren't interested in any conciliatory comments anyway. Uh, They've moved on and, and they think they don't really believe a word that Lukaku said because back in June he said he wanted to stay and then he left. So it, it just seems like this is a man who's, who's, who's not very happy with life at the moment and has decided, instead of taking some responsibility, has decided to put point the finger at other people for why it's not going so well. Uh, producer Lucy, very passionate on this. She is a Chelsea fan and she's written in our Google Doc in all caps, which means she's serious. The worst bit as a fan was him saying he wants to go back to Milan while he's still in the prime, not at the end of his career. Three exclamation marks, uh, five exclamation marks, uh, just to give you a sense of the strength of feeling <laughs> amongst Chelsea supporters and our producer there. Um, there's a huge explainer on this, on The Athletic, which goes into great detail. It's the sort of thing The Athletic does so brilliantly. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up if you want to read it. Dom, how does this resolve itself, do you think? Because Lukaku talks about Barcelona and Bayern Munich and Real Madrid, and I can't see any of those clubs being remotely interested in them. Barcelona might be, but they can't afford him. Real Madrid want Haaland or Mbappe, and Bayern wouldn't touch a player who does this kind of thing, especially when they've got Robert Lewandowski. So there's no obvious exit path for him. He's going to have to make a grovelling apology and hope for the best, isn't he? Yeah, I, th- I think I think so. I think that's the only way forward. I, th- I think it will probably end up blowing over in terms of within the club don't get me wrong the the hierarchy would have been unbelievably annoyed at this Uh, Tuchel would have been dismayed at it as well 
given the release was, was as Simon suggests, at, at a time when the, the team are labouring for the, the first time really under his stewardship. And I, 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 I sort of came into this thinking, let, let's try and play devil's advocate here and try and get the other side of the story. But 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 it's so misguided to to have done this, it, to placate a, a club that you've left behind, technically. I mean, you've left them behind. They've gone now. You, you, you're back at the club that you profess to have supported since you were 11. Um, and you must have known, Lukaku must have known that it was going to have... Whatever he said, even if it was passing comments, uh, when the, the 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 main focus of the inter- interview was very much on his time at Inter, even with passing comments, it was going to annoy Chelsea supporters. Um, I, I would say though that it's it's his comments actually in isolation are not as bad as Diego Costa going on strike at Chelsea and refusing to come back from preseason, or. Or if you go to Luis Suarez at Liverpool in the first the first time he agitated to leave, I think Brendan Rodgers banished him to a, an outlying training pitch to train on his own at Melwood, um, and that was reconcilable. They they he actually came back in and played such a major part in their in in a competing for a Premier League title. Subsequently, the comments themselves, when you actually look at them, they're not actually as bad as at that. But the timing is appalling. It's also unnecessary that it, it none of it was required. The other thing sl- that I feel we're slightly hypocritical about is, and again, he shouldn't have said it, but Lukaku is complaining about Chelsea not necessarily playing to his strengths. Well, we've been saying that for the last three months, that Chelsea haven't been playing to his strengths. We're still trying to work out how they do that. And we don't know the combination of the tens. We don't know the you know the combination of the where the width comes and what type of ball they should be playing. Should he have a playing partner? Should he should he be playing with Timo Werner? That, that is a debate that is ongoing. And he's just expressed it stupidly because he shouldn't have done. There was no need for him to say it because it was so obvious for everybody else. But he is just saying what we've been saying for a, a, an awfully long time. Um, but the other the other problem that he's got now is that Chelsea played bloody well without him on Sunday, and that fluid front three where they where they have that that, that pace and that energy around the dynamism around the team is possibly born of having players of that ilk as opposed to Lukaku who does slow up the play that's I think Chelsea and Tuchel would admit when they bought him they knew that that was a risk that they were going to take that he he, having him in the team just makes Chelsea play in a slightly different way in a slightly more laboured way sometimes um so yeah he's he's got he's got a big job to get reintegrated into this setup now not least with with Kai Havertz approaching full fitness again and you know whether he'd be involved against Antonio Conte's Tottenham Hotspur. The irony that he'd be up against the one manager that's really got the best out of him. Um, he's got two games against them coming up now. It's 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 so unnecessary, but but maybe in time we'll sort of see that it's some of the comments aren't quite as bad as as they might have been. I, I think. It- a lot of his views were clumsily expressed, yeah, weren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, and one of the mistakes he made was doing it totally independently. I mean, even his own representatives didn't know about it, which yeah. is unheard of, let alone the club. Not unheard of with him, though. No, he, and and he, he's he is a character that that always wants to feel the love, and and perhaps he's finding out at Chelsea that hang on, I'm not the biggest 
fish in the pond. I'm just one of many. I, I'm not going to get the special treatment, the special love. Um, like Tuchel's got to keep a lot of people happy, not just him. Um, the unfortunate thing is, is that the conversation he's had conversations since that interview was was, air, uh, was was made with Tuchel, and they talked about how to get more out of him and how it was all going to work. And he and he referred to this after the Aston Villa performance. Well, the shame is, is that in the, in that uh, one and a half games, the, the the second half of the Villa and, and the whole game against Brighton. You saw the Lukaku that Chelsea signed. He he was magnificent and showed just why Chelsea could have been a lot closer to Man City if this had been a fit Lukaku for the whole campaign. Uh, Another sort of sympathetic comment I will make about about Lukaku is that we should always bear in mind that no matter how much a player earns, that their personal happiness, welfare will have an effect on their state of mind, their thinking, their 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 happiness. Um, and I don't think he is happy or has been happy um, living back in, in England. Um, he's not been able to see his son as much as he saw him in, in, in uh, Milan or his mother. He, he spent Christmas in isolation because he had COVID. He talked about that to, to another broadcaster and... and <laughs> I know sort of a lot of Chelsea fans probably listen to this will probably go, well, don't care, you know, he shouldn't have said what he said. And, you know, of course he shouldn't. But I think at the time of the interview, the day after the United game, he's upset, he's not played. He just wasn't thinking clearly at the time he did that interview. Um, I don't know whether, I'm sure, Matt, you want to ask about the decision Tuchel made to leave him out of the squad. And and sort of we, we were sort of having a chat with it Saturday evening. And... When it first started to emerge that he was he was likely to be left out, and it didn't surprise me at all. I, I think Tuchel was in a bit of a damn if you do, damn if you don't situation, but he has to send a message to that dressing room that that you, you can't go off speaking your mind and and putting any kind of negative connotation on how he's running the team or or just just speaking out of turn. He has to send that message. You can't have the club record by sort of being able to sort of get away with something like that. Because what kind of precedent does that send? It's like, oh, oh, I'm really upset with you, but I'm going to play you on Sunday anyway. It, it, it's, it just sort of says to everyone, well, he's not really the man in charge the players are. And whilst you could argue it came back to bite Chelsea, I think that with Lukaku in that team on Sunday, Chelsea would have won the game. Especially when you think that Callum Hudson Odoi was brought on as a substitute to play out front, um, he certainly would have given that Liverpool defence much more of a runaround. But if Lukaku is recalled, and of course we're recording this before the meeting on on Monday, if Lukaku is recalled for Spurs and scores against Spurs, I think Chelsea fans will find it in their hearts to forgive him. Be fascinating to see what happens next and what kind of reaction he gets from the crowd when he does come back. Uh, right, next we're going to stop talking about Romelu Lukaku and have a quick chat about two games in which Romelu Lukaku scored. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Uh, plenty of our panel predicted a win and a draw for the Blues in the games against Aston Villa and Brighton Hove Albion in our pre-Christmas pod, but I'm not sure any of us got the order in which those four points would come correct. Uh, Chelsea came from behind to win 3-1 at Villa Park on Boxing Day before conceding an injury time equaliser against Brighton at the bridge on the 29th. Two wildly contrasting results, these really. A fine come-from-behind win at a team who were in pretty decent form and then a draw at home to a side on paper who should have been dealt with fairly comfortably. Simon, was the disparity between those two performances purely down to fatigue and absentees or was there something else going on? I think, I think as Dom alluded to earlier, I think it was fatigue. Uh, Brighton game, they just looked absolutely shattered. And you've got to remember as well that Brighton had had two 11-day breaks during December um, because they had games called off. So Chelsea played, I think, at least twice the amount of games that Brighton had. So is there any surprise? And that, that's not that's not demeaning Brighton's performance. Brighton were very good as well, and, and they've they've gone on to back up those that performance with with other good victories, um, including one against Everton. But yeah, I, I just felt that. That they were running on empty in that in that Brighton game. As for Villa, which was a positive comeback, already touched on Lukaku and the the brilliant impact he made. It was a it was a great show of character, particularly when you think of the man of the goal they went behind to. It's another. It's just a sort of catalogue of rubbish goals that Chelsea conceded <laughs> at the moment. Just one after the other, you're just watching them going, "What is going on?" Um, I blame myself and Dom for writing that Premier League best defensive record piece because <laughs> <laughs> it's been a disaster almost ever since. Um, but um, I'd, I'd give a I'd give a little um, li- little shout out to Hudson Odoi for the Villa game because he, he he's been getting a lot of stick again, and I understand why. But um, but at the same time, in that Villa game, he he won the penalty, he crossed for Lukaku's goal, and. and um, and put Lukaku through for the second penalty. So he, he has this knack, even when he does make bad decisions and his end product isn't right, that he still can affect games in a, in a positive manner. He's also 21 and he's never had a loan spell. Yeah. I think that, that gets overlooked a little bit, doesn't it? He's not somebody who played 50 games in the Football League and got a bit announced that way. So a bit of patience with, with hudson Adoy, I think. Um, the Brighton game, Dom, you were on duty for. Obviously, the, the late goal, really the headline, but also Rhys James injured out for six to eight weeks. That That's a massive loss. Yeah, it's 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 clipped Chelsea's wings to lose both Rhys James and Ben Chilwell, though. They are Chelsea's Alexander Arnold and Robertson, basically. They, and and they're so integral to the system that Tuchel wants to play. Um, I mean, you saw even against Liverpool, I, w- I was I was amazed that that they got as much energy as they did from Azpilicueta and, and Marcus Alonso initially, and then every combination of of right wing back they tried thereafter. I think Kristen Pulisic had a go at one point, um, and they sort of flitted through various different systems. And it it may be that that in time. Given that that, uh, that James and Chilwell will be out for for some time now, um, that that Tuchel has to explore different systems um, to see whether they suit the personnel that he's got available, because he's not going to get the same incision from Aspilicueta at right wing back. He he might do it from a from a Pulisic or a Hudson Odoi possibly, but then, as we've discussed already, that those those guys would would much rather be in different areas of the team. So. It was damaging in that respect. Um, I haven't seen Chelsea 
dominated. I mean, okay, by Manchester City they were earlier this season, arguably, uh, but by a team that relatively lowly in in the table. I've I've not I've not seen that happen for years. Uh, in the way that that uh, Brighton came to Stamford Bridge and and for for long periods of that game overran Chelsea and, and that is down to fatigue that that and I, I probably there could have been better management used over the and and a better distribution of minutes let's say over the course of December um, to try and to try and alleviate the pressure that's being put on the same players every week. Uh, well, not every week, every three days, really. Um, when you looked at the the unused players on the bench that night, okay, we all know the the likes of Ross Barkley don't have long term futures at Chelsea, but they are full internationals. That, that, this should have been a way of getting more from from Barkley or Saul for certain games in December to at least at least alleviate the pressure that's that's been put on other players to to fill the breach, basically, and and. I just think we saw that, that game was just one match too too many. Something that Tuchel had been warning would happen for a long time, but I think something that he's partly culpable for allowing to happen because a deep squad hasn't necessarily been used in the best best way, even with COVID, even with injuries, in my opinion. <laughs> just a minor add to the Brighton game. Um, don't forget that Tuchel had to use up two of his subs by half-time mm. so, so because of injury, because of Christensen yeah. as well. So you can imagine if he'd had all three still in his locker, that would have made a difference sort of in yeah. the last 20 minutes. Um, but it's still... I also thought Basuma was, was putting out a good sort of come-and-get-me plea, uh, especially, well, one doesn't want to say that Conte has got to move on at, at some point. We, we've been that, down that road before, but with all his injury issues and stuff, it, it was uh, just another little... Uh, Signed not just to Chelsea, but to a number of top clubs that he's the real deal. Penny for the thoughts of Tino Liveramento. I mean, he, you would thought he would actually have ended up getting quite a lot of game time at Chelsea this season, whether it's better for his development to play a whole season at Southampton. I mean, you could maybe even stretch that as far as Tarek Lamptey, of course, played in the, in the Brighton game too, but you can't keep them all, I suppose. Uh, the games just keep on coming for Chelsea. Next today, we'll look ahead to the first leg of the League Cup semi-final. Chelsea welcomes Spurs to Stamford Bridge. Uh, welcomes probably not the right word, is it? Chelsea hosts Spurs at Stamford Bridge in the first leg of the League Cup semi-final on Wednesday. It's the repeat of the 2019 semi. Chelsea eventually prevailed on penalties after two legs in that one. It's the first of three games against Spurs this month. What have you made of Antonio Conte's Tottenham? Dom, I can't quite get my head around it. They seem to be on a pretty good run, but they've played fairly modest opposition. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think that's... Other than the Liverpool game where they, they did play well uh, with a lot of energy in that match, um, it's a, a period of adjustment. I don't think any Spurs manager has ever ever done what he's done in terms of um, the unbeaten start to a league, um, to taking over, in, certainly in the league. I think it's seven matches now, is it? Um so he's obviously made a positive impact, but in this period he's also he's also working out which players that he wants there long term and which players he doesn't. More, more, uh, probably more to the key. Um, and you, you're seeing some discarded already, others in and out, uh, and the usual suspects being relied upon to to carry Spurs forward. I think you'd imagine that he would be particularly motivated to to send a team out 
at Stamford Bridge to to do a job on Chelsea. Um, given the the acrimonious nature of his departure from from the club back in 2018, and the the various employment tribunals that followed, um, one of the I think it was the most expensive sacking of Chelsea's history, possibly football's history. So over 26 million pounds they ended up forking out just to get rid of him and his staff. And he had a lot of staff. I think eight of them at least were compensated in that package. And he brought 11 with him, I think, so didn't he? An entire team. Um, but it's, it's yeah, I mean, it's it'd be really, I'm really intrigued to see how the supporters take to him. I'm intrigued to see what happens if, if Spurs score a, a goal at a critical time in the, in, in the game at Stamford Bridge and whether he, he goes berserk and tears off down the touchline towards towards the away support. Um, lo- lots of intrigue like that. And it's, yeah, it'll be, we're used to, to Chelsea, ex-Chelsea managers coming back to Stamford Bridge, obviously, but this, this one seems to have a slightly more edge to it. Um, just, just in the nature of how it all unraveled over his time at the club. Do you think he will get a good reception, Simon? Or will it just be kind of, let's ignore him? Uh, well, I've spoken to a few a few um, for a piece that Dom and I are doing ahead of the game, and they there was a kind of a we we don't respect him anymore, but we still respect what he did. I, I think it also depends what Conte's like pre and during the match. I can't imagine Conte's going to say anything incendiary like a Jose Mourinho might might do. But where I may sort of question is if Tottenham score, is Antonio the kind of guy that can keep himself under control? <laughs> because Chelsea fans know better than most that he's a bit of... He likes a goal celebration. Um, and if that happens, I think I think Chelsea fans would react and, and probably understandably so. And they won't like that. Um... So I, I can't see him being booed unless he does something to provoke it. I, I like to think so as well because he he did a remarkable job in that first season. Not so much the second season, but that first season title win is arguably the best achievement of all the title wins, you know, given the circumstances. Um, and it was Chelsea that that sacked him in the end. Um, yes, of course, Conte could have perhaps handled himself a lot better in that second season, but Chelsea were the ones that decided to get rid. Um, and then, sort of, why should he then uh, perhaps sort of think he, should, he owes Chelsea any favours after that? Albeit he knows the rivalry that exists between the two clubs. Going to be fascinating these three games over the course of the next month. Chelsea against Tottenham will have a, a big say in both clubs' seasons. Uh, the return leg of that semi, by the way, takes place at the still can't find a suitable sponsor to make it the stadium name on Wednesday, the 12th of January. Uh, right, we've done a few plugs on, on what's up on the athletic Chelsea wise. Um, Dom, I'm, I'm interested in your piece on, on Mo Salah's time at Chelsea because yesterday was the first time that he managed to score for Liverpool at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, I'm not sure this is. I'm not sure Chelsea supporters need reminding that uh, Mo Salah was once on their books. Uh, I, I found it quite an interesting exercise to go back because I, because at the time Mo Salah really didn't impinge upon our consciousness very much as a Chelsea player. He he, he was somebody that we'd seen play 
for Basel against Chelsea a few times in the Europa League and the Champions League. And he'd done, he'd done well against them. He scored in three games against them. He looked quick. He looked direct. Um, he was young. So when Chelsea bought him, again, when they bought him, the focus was all about on Juan Mata leaving. It wasn't really on Mo Salah arriving. But, but sort of going back over the, the notes I'd made at the time and the press conferences I'd been at and and the, the you know the, the matches where he played because he he started six games on the bounce at, at, towards the end of that season 2013-14 a period where Chelsea were very much in transition and looking forward to that summer when they bought Fabregas and Diego Costa um he he you know he was he had a little bit of a platform there and he thought he might he might kick on and then it just didn't happen he played he barely played 50 minutes of football for Chelsea, I think 30 minutes actually the following season before being loaned out to Fiorentina and then starting this this sort of adventure in Italy that ended up with Roma. Um, but it was, I found it quite an interesting little exercise um, and and something to to remember the, the, the tone of, of Jose Mourinho talking about it at the time and how that changed over time. You know, this, this, this player is going to be part of our future. He sort of sums up our personifies the, the way we want to go, the young dynamic players that we're going to have in our team. We're going to be a very much a possession-based side and we're going to have all these you know, young, thrusting young um, players who are going to do brilliantly for us and then within 12 months he's being loaned out and uh, actually let's just get rid of him and bring Juan Cuadrado in instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, narrator, he was not as good. Um <laughs> There is a question, a genuine question, like a genuine poll. Like, who who did Chelsea regret losing the most, De Bruyne or Salah? I mean, it's it, it's got to be pretty close when you think. I mean, who would you go for? I mean, I I just love De Bruyne as a, as, a, as a player. You know, I just love that. That's just a personal preference in terms of that silky that guy that creates. Uh, that's always been my kind of player, but. The way Salah's playing right now, I mean, we did a we did a piece on the Athletic, I think back in was it back back in October, I think it was about who's the best player in the world right now, hmm. and I thought it was a bit premature to be talking about Salah because it had only been a few months that he'd been on this sort of scoring every week kind of run, and he just thought right, well, yeah, it's a bit premature, but the fact that he's he's now we're now sort of four or five months into the season and he's doing it he's he's got a very genuine claim now to to be best player in the world and 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 it's kind of highlighting that 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 sort of ability to to be prolific is what is exactly what Chelsea are missing right now so you could argue the two players Chelsea need the most you'd say you you go for Salah it's it's interesting though a lot of the comments on the the piece did did touch upon the idea that neither De Bruyne nor Salah would have developed in this way and become the players that they are today had they not had that painful rejection from Chelsea en route and that that spurred them on. And it's it's a very valid argument. I mean, De Bruyne's career was not going anywhere at Chelsea at the time. He He, he didn't look at him and think, why are Chelsea not picking a world-class talent here? Because he just hadn't developed at all. It took the spell at... Wolfsburg to pep up his confidence and, and for City then to take the plunge on him. And the same could be could apply to Salah. I mean he, he scored two goals. But as I say, I mean we we I don't think there was any sense of outrage when he when he was loaned to Fiorentina. No one thought, my word, what are Chelsea doing here? He he just didn't seem ready. But when he came back from Roma to Liverpool and 
he he very much was ready. I mean, Liverpool had only valued him at eight million pounds. That's why he didn't join them in the first place back in 2014. It was, you know, Chelsea pushed the boat out to eleven million pounds to get him in. Well, you add another hundred million onto that now, at least. The um, the the, the lesson learned this is before we wrap up. <laughs> Before it reaches five hours, um, the le- the lesson learned, like the biggest thing about what happened with those two, is it's because of what happened with those two that you now see Chelsea putting yeah. in buyback clauses or first option clauses. That that was the biggest mistake that Chelsea made was was not having those options in those loan deals, um, and unfortunately they're they're putting those options in now on, on talented players, but perhaps ones that aren't in the world-class category like those two are. Also shows the importance of man management in the modern game, I suppose, doesn't it? Because you see how Klopp's put his arm around Salah and looked after him and how, you know, De Bruyne and, and Guardiola go together hand in glove and, and that is always preferable to somebody shouting at you and telling you you're not very good like Jose Mourinho uh, has tended to do in the last stages of his career. Uh, work-wise, Simon, are you on Lukaku watch for the, the rest of the week? Of course, we've got the game on Wednesday as well. This is my life. yeah uh yes yeah we're trying to um like everyone be trying to find out what what happens in this monday meeting uh whether he plays against spurs then yeah cover the spurs game um there's also a piece which which has been in the locker for for a while now i wrote it pre-christmas but that's not to say it's aged like myself um it's a it's a big read on kepper who of course is going to be very important uh, now that Edouard Mendy's gone off to the uh, African Cup of Nations. The man who I've picked to be Chelsea's number one goalie from next season to widespread derision. Uh, anyway, <laughs> athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. We'll be back on Thursday to reflect on the Spurs semi-first leg and look ahead to the FA Cup tie with National League side Chesterfield. Do join us for that if you can. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. <laughs> 